So uh, I'm Nathan Carr. I'm uh, along with my wife, Autumn, um, the children's and youth directors here at the Ridge, in case you didn't know me. Um, and today we're going to be talking about uh, refinement, or you might use the word uh, sanctification, or the phrase being made holy. Uh, and the scripture we're going to start with is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 through 14. And we'll have kind of the end of it up there on the screen, but you can uh, open up your Bible or your Bible app and follow along. Starting in verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He set aside first to establish, he set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. This is in the Old Testament in the temple. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. For the same sins, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And that's you. And that's me, that is every one of us that accepts Christ and seeks to follow him with our life. We are being made holy. And what's that word holy mean? It means to be set apart, to be special, to be different, to be uh, reserved for a special purpose. And um, Jimmy, right now, the series he's going through is all about God's purpose for our life. And so we're kind of segueing into this uh, idea today, just taking a break there and and segueing right into this idea of refinement. And so you could use, like I said, the words um, be made holy or sanctification for this process of, of being refined. But I love in the video uh, that image of, um, of a blacksmith just you know, heating that metal and then shaping it into the, the way that he's you know, designing uh, that implement. And so you know, that's, that's how it feels like sometimes for us when God is working in our life and working in, in our heart is, you know, he, he has to heat us up in the furnace and it doesn't necessarily feel comfortable or, or easy. Um, the, the video defined um, refinement as a spiritual process. as the spiritual process of change through trials, repentance, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to think about maybe a trial that you've been through in the past, or maybe you've got a trial that is going on in your life right now. Um, those trials that, that we encounter, they are hard. They're scary. They um, frustrate us when it feels like we're not getting anywhere. And we cry out and we're like, God, where are you? Help me. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do. 
But God is with us and he always works through those trials. Those trials are the times when our faith grows the most. And repentance, that's a tough one because we don't like to be confronted with the ways that we are wrong. Who likes to be right? I like to be right. You know, I, I try to like know my stuff. I try to know what I'm talking about. I don't want to say the wrong thing. You know, if somebody tells me I'm wrong, I'm probably going to argue with them. I might later go back and be like, yeah, you're right. Sorry. But, um, or, or I, might, I might not admit it. Um, <laughs> we want to be right. We don't want to have to say, God, I was wrong. <laughs> Help me to turn from that and go the other way and go towards you. We, it's, it's hard for us to do that. But that act of repentance allows God to move and change our hearts and the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, so many times we go throughout our day and we just forget that God's with us. You know, and we get focused on the little things that are just kind of on our list and the important things, the big picture stuff that we've been working on for months. And, and we forget that God wants to be in all of that. He wants to work through us in all of that. We forget that, you know, maybe the conversation that we are about to have with somebody at lunch is part of his plan to encourage that person and to help refine that person. We forget that, that this goal that we have looming ahead of us ties into his plan for us. And, and he's part of that. And he wants to refine us and use us as we're working. So sometimes we just either forget about it or, or we resist God's work to refine us. And we walk away from where God is trying uh, to take our life. And we lose focus on him and we start focusing on our own priorities. And we wake up one day and we realize something's missing, something's not right, something in my soul is empty. God, where did you go? What is happening? Why aren't you here with me? Why do I feel this way? A lot of times we feel a sense of loss because we've wasted precious time. You know, um, I tell the youth and the kids sometimes, I'm like, I, I've got this theory of, of like, as you get older, like every, I don't know, year, five years or so, like time, you know, divides in half. And your experience of time, you know, think back to maybe, uh, maybe when you were like 10 and how long time seemed to go and, um, and now how fast it goes by. And it's like, by the time you're 20, like you've lived your, like 90% of your life because your experience of time just goes by so much faster as we get older. And when we, when we get to this point and we feel like, God, what, what's happening? Where have I gone wrong? What, how am I missing you? Why don't I feel you in my life? It's, it's scary and it's hard because we realize, wow, I could be so much further along. I could be so much closer to God. I've resisted allowing him to work in my life and to change me so many times. And how much have I missed out on? And I think he wants us to have that realization, but I don't want, think he wants us to stay in that place. He doesn't want us to be in a place of despair or discouragement. He just wants us to wake up. But it's hard when we feel like, man, I've, I've lost so many opportunities. And all of us have. Sometimes we feel a sense of shame because we recognize where we've failed. 
and we're human, and we're going to fail so many times. And that failure can mount. That failure can begin to weigh us down. And we feel like, how can I overcome this, God? How can, how can I begin to succeed? How can I begin to start taking steps forward? You know, where are you taking me? Where are we going? Why do I feel stuck? And then sometimes it gets bad enough, it gets deep enough that we feel like God won't take us back because of what we've done or the mistakes that we've made or something that has happened to us. And of course, that last one is a big lie. It's meant to deceive us. You know, it's been said that Satan tries to convince us, the enemy tries to convince us that in the beginning, like if we're thinking about a sin or we're in the, in a, in the moment of being tempted or something like that, no big deal. It's not going to matter very much. It, it won't affect anybody else. Don't worry about it. It's just a little, little thing. Like it's no big deal. And then once we're on the other side, once we've failed and given in to temptation and made a mistake, then the enemy tries to tell us, God's never going to forgive you for that. That was awful. That's terrible. Like, you suck. So which one of those is true? They're both a lie. They're both a lie. That sin, no matter how small we feel like it is, no matter how much we think it's going to affect me, it's not going to affect anybody else, it's affecting our soul. It's affecting God's plan for us. It's affecting God's plan for our family. It is a big deal, even if it doesn't seem like it. But on the other side, there's nothing, there's nothing that we can do or that can be done to us that's going to prevent Jesus from forgiving us. We always have that, that invitation to come back. We always have the chance to be picked up and, and to start on the race again. God doesn't send us back to go. He doesn't send us back to the beginning. He says, all right, come on, let's go. Let's get back in the race. And he picks us up from where we are and he runs the rest of the race with us, knowing that we're going to fall down again. But he'll pick us back up again. You know, both of those are lies. You know, it's so hard in this world that we're in right now. And the things that we see going on around, I mean, there's a ton in the news this weekend. Um, and so much going on in our culture. Um, and it's like, how do I live out this process of God refining me when, when everything is so confusing, when, when I don't really know how I'm supposed to respond to what I see happening around me, when, when, when I don't even know if I'm doing the right thing, you know, how, how do I handle this? How do I know what to say? Where do I look? There's so many gray areas. How do we check ourselves and filter our thoughts and the things that are going on, and the anxiety within us, and align them with God. Here's a helpful principle that I think can keep us pointed in the right direction. We should always be asking the question, how close to God can I get? Knowing we're not going to get there fully in this life, but how close to God can I get? Like, that's my mission. That's my passion. My eyes are on Jesus. I'm going to get as close to him as I possibly can. It's hard to go wrong if that's our focus. It's hard to stay on the wrong track if that's 
our focus. It's hard to stay discouraged if, if we're looking towards him, if we're surrounding ourselves with others who are seeking him that same way. Like if we're focused on Jesus and his love and his encouragement, all these things that happen around us, they're going to be a shadow of that, that love and that peace that we feel. And when we have those times in our life, it's just a crisis. It's like everything's falling apart. We're going to have a family around us to pick us up and carry us and support us. When we're trying to see how close can I get to him, it's going to be hard for the enemy to come along and trip us up. But so often, instead of think, asking how close can I get to God, we ask, how close can I get to sin without crossing the line? Like, I want to get really, really close, but I'm not doing anything that's really wrong, because really wrong is right over there. And then before I know it, before I know it, I've rationalized myself into diving right in. There's still hope. There's still hope. Don't believe that lie. If you found yourself diving right in, if you found yourself getting up to that line and crossing it, there's still hope. There always is. But man, wouldn't it help us? Wouldn't it save us so much heartache and so much trouble? And wouldn't it help our families and our friends for us to be able to support them if all the time our eyes are focused on Jesus and not on the ways and the things of this world? You know, the world's not going to tell you to do that. The world's not going to tell you to think more about God and, and less about what you can give for yourself. The world is going to tell you to focus on your truth. The world is going to try to make you believe your feelings are your ultimate guide. And your feelings can inform things. God can work through feelings and emotions. He's, he's not an emotionless God at all. But the world is going to try to get you to deconstruct your faith and abandon your hope. And it may be because they're lost, maybe because they're bitter, but most likely it's because they desperately want the truth. They don't have it. You know, if you look around and See what's happening in our society and in our culture. It, it's scary. Suicide rates are at an all-time high. They've increased 40% in the last 20 years. Overdoses are claiming as many lives every year right now as Americans who died in the entire, I don't know, 20 years of the Vietnam War. In the year 2000, there were about... 5,000 suicides a year in the U.S. Um, now it's, um, oh, or not suicide, I'm sorry, overdoses. Now it's over 100,000 a year. 40% suicide, 100,000 overdoses a year, over 100,000 every year now. And that's from like two years ago. I don't know, I don't know what the current year is. Hopefully getting better and not worse. We see Issues of, of trafficking all over the place. Um, we see just confusion about, about family and, and how humans are supposed to live out our life. And I, I read a really interesting um, 
some really interesting research about our belief and uh, Christians' belief in whether the enemy is real, whether Satan is actually out there, whether it's, it's just God and, and Satan is just sort of a, an idea or a concept or a metaphor. And it's about 50%. It's about 50% who believe that, that we have an enemy or not. And Jesus, he spoke about Satan repeatedly. He was tempted himself. He cast out demons. He wasn't speaking figuratively. And I know it's weird for us sometimes to even bring that side of spirituality up, that, that idea that, that there's an enemy out there wanting to trip us up and entangle us and uh, distract us and destroy us. But it's true. And, and Jesus warns us about it and warns us to focus our eyes on him so we stay away from those traps, so we stay away from those pitfalls, so we don't fall for the lies of our enemy. Because we will be tempted. And we will face those trials. And sometimes it's hard for us to, with all of this going on in our world, like what do we do as a follower of Christ, as we're trying to be refined, as we're trying to be turned into the person that God created us to be? How do we respond to all of this just pain and, and confusion and all of that that's going on out there in the world? It's hard for us to know. It's hard for us to know how to respond because it seems like, um, it seems like we can kind of come off one of two ways. We can sort of come off as, as judgy and, and condemning of what we see going on around us. And it's easy to do. It's easy to become frustrated with what we see and, and what, we, what we don't like that's happening in our community. And, and it's easy to react to that. And then on the other side, it's, it's easy, too, to just say, you know what, I, I, I'm just going to stay away from that. I'm going to stay out of that. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of sort of do my own thing over here, and I'm not going to respond to all of that that's happening. And then, then we just kind of come off as, as like condoning it or, or just kind of like ignoring it. And, and I don't think God wants us to have either of those two responses. That's not the response of a, a follower whose eyes are fixed on Christ. So what do we do as we see all this happening in our world? And how do we react well, those, those responses that I was just talking about, we can kind of do nothing and let it play out. We can kind of fight it. We can kind of compromise and try to fit in. And that gets so complicated. But this is real life. This is where we are at. This is the world that our families live in. And, you know, sometimes we get kind of focused on one of those ways to and, and set in that reaction. But maybe... Maybe there's some truth in, in all three of those responses. Maybe some of us need to be intentional about some of those ways to react to what we see happening or ways to respond to what we see happening more than others. If we're in a situation where we're really just not sure, like, I don't, I don't really know, like, what's God's truth about this? What does the Word say about this? Maybe we need to take a deep breath and step back. And study his word. And seek wise counsel. And pray about it. So at the right moment, when it's really important for us to act 
and respond in the way that Christ would want us to. That we confront that situation with the love of Christ and not out of our own human nature. What if, what if we're somebody who kind of tends to just kind of, you know, like step up and react and like, you know, ready to fight, you know, ready to go. And the current climate is just, it's disrupting our life. Like we wake up in the morning and we're just stressed out. Maybe we should gain some perspective. Seek God's peace because it's there. And then be ready to stand strong in confidence without needing to react. What if we're afraid of what the consequences will be if we stand up for what's right? What's it going to cost me if if I stand up and stand out at, at work or amongst my friends or wherever I'm at? Maybe we need to ask ourselves, what price did Jesus pay for us? And what price did he expect us to be willing to pay? He said, no greater love has anyone than this, that they would lay down their life for their friend. What if we are the kind of person who tends to just want to get along with everybody else as much as possible? And that's usually a good thing. Being friends is more important than being right. It's probably a good thing too. Middle ground is better than an extreme probably good too. We might very well be right. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. But what if rather than bringing peace, what if sometimes we're just compromising to make ourselves feel better? What if we're compromising in our own personal life and getting close to that line? Or what if we're just compromising for our friends and our family's sake and we don't want to we don't want to rock the boat, we don't want to make waves. We don't want to bring up tension, but we're just delaying a confrontation that needs to be had, sacrificing our witness in the process. And all of those questions are so hard to answer, and I I just got to be honest, you know, I'm wrestling with those things right now, and I know a lot of you, if not every single one, is wrestling with those same kind of things, like how do I stay true to God right now in my life with everything that's going on? and everything that I'm dealing with that would be like normal, and then plus all the weight of all that I see going on around. And then I don't even know if I have like the space in my mind to even think about, well, how do I respond to those around me? How do I respond to my brothers and sisters in Christ? How do I respond to the world that's out there? And, and you know, how do I do that in a way that, that honors God? It's, it's so hard. And so like, what is the answer? And and there's just not a simple like formula or simple process because it's going to be different for each of us. But, but the key to how we allow ourselves to be refined and the key to how we react to this world that we find ourselves in is the love of Jesus. So uh, right now in, in our youth series, we're uh, working through a, a uh, series about how to share your faith and how to do it in a way that's that's encouraging and uplifting and uh, how to open those kind of conversations and um, we watched a video last week that um, gave this demonstration so I want to kind of do a version of that today um, and for those of you who've been around to hear one of my messages before you know I always get you to interact in some way I don't know if you like that or not but 
I'd like to do it to you. So, um, if you have a bill, some money in your wallet, pull something out. I've got a 20 up here. Uh, you can just pull something out for reference. You know, pass it around, friends and family. You know, maybe you want to put that in your pocket. So, this note may be worth a little less than it was a few years ago. But, but... It has value. It has value because we all agree that it has value. Now, we can say it's just a piece of paper, but if I sat up here and you know, lit it on fire and burned it, a lot of you would be like, oh, you know, like, what? what are you doing? I mean, it's just $20. Come on, y'all. But no, you're like, well, then fine. Give it to me. You know, I'll take it. <laughs> it, has, it has value. Now, I want you to think about this. kind of, kind of, I don't know challenging to think about, but think about where this $20 bill might have been in the last year and what it might have been used for in the last year. And that can get kind of disturbing. Think about if there was a crime committed through the use of this $20 bill. Think about if somebody was abused through the use of this $20 bill. Kind of makes me not want to think about that. Does it still have value? Is it still worth $20? The answer is yes, it is. Just like you, what it has been used for or what mistakes have been made with it do not Define its value. It's still worth $20. Whatever has happened to you in your life and to me in my life, whatever mistakes that you have made in your life, whatever mistakes I have made in my life, you have value. And a lot more than a $20 bill and those people we see around us, the world that's out there, it's the same with them. They're created in the image of God. No matter what they have done, even what they've done to me, even what they've done to us, no matter what mistakes they've made, no matter how they've been used, no matter how lost they are, they have value because of who has created them. And nothing can take away that value. Nothing can take away the purpose that God has for them. Christianity, following Christ, answers two super important questions that everybody is asking. How can I deserve life when I'm full of sin? Because deep down, all of us know we are. Deep down, all of us know both that we're made in the image of God, that we have this spark from the Creator within us, but we're fallen and we make so many mistakes. So how can I deserve that life when that's true? Well, the truth is we don't deserve it, but we are offered it because we're God's crowning achievement, His greatest creation, and deeply deeply loved 
by him. We're flawed because of our sins, but our flaws don't have to define who we are. God defines you if you choose to live under his direction. That is a super encouraging thought. God defines us. If you choose to follow your own way, you have what you've got. That's a scary proposition. But you have this choice. You can be defined as who you are all on your own. Or you can live into your potential and be refined and defined as an adopted son or daughter. That's what I want. I want to be refined and I want to be defined by him because being defined by me is just not that good. It's just not that great. It always falls short. And the second big question that our life as a Christian answers is what is our purpose? What is our purpose? Why are we here? What are we here to do? Why does this mean anything? So many are asking that question. And a lot of times the, the answer that we hear in church or in, in these kind of circles is, well, our, our purpose is to give God glory. And I think that's true. But oftentimes I wrestle with, well, what does that really mean? Like, you know, that's such a big idea. That's such a, like, you know, lofty sounding thing to give God glory. You know, my life is about giving God glory. All right, well, what, what does it mean for me to give God, God glory? with my life. Here's what I think it means. To be in a whole relationship with God. Living as the person he created me to be. And to be in a whole relationship with the people in my life. My family, my friends, the ridge, and the world. Living as the person he created me to be. I think if we do that, that gives God glory and testifies to him as a loving father and brings his love into expression on this earth. Because he's not just trying to refine us for our personal benefit, although that's a big part of it. He's not just trying to refine us for our relationship with him, that it would be made whole. But he's also trying to refine us so that our relationship with one another is whole. So that people who see us know that there's something better and there's something different and there's hope and that they have value. And even though we're full of sin, there's hope and their value never changes. So our purpose to glorify God is about us being made into the image of Christ as he wants to make us. So why is all this important to us right now? I think it's important for us so that we have healthy homes that are firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a storm out there. There's a, there's a new tropical storm that looks like it's going to be headed to, I don't even think it's defined as a tropical storm yet, headed to, the Gulf Coast, not supposed to be too bad, it's supposed to bring some rain. It's actually supposed to be good. Florida's in a drought, and they're like, you know, as long as this thing doesn't, doesn't develop into too strong of a storm, it's going to bring some much-needed rain. There's a storm out there in this world that we're living in right now. But Christ is at work. He may not be bringing the storm, but he's at work in the storm, and he's going to use us in the storm 
He's going to use the storm to work in our life, and he's going to use us to work in the lives of others as that storm comes. And he wants to work in our families. Are we ready to stand for truth in love and guide our families and friends through this storm? Because he's counting on us to do it. It matters so that we can shine some hope to all the people, all the people we see who are struggling. And there are so many. You know, Jesus talked about it this way. He said, he said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know, and I always tend to think about it this way. Like, if I share my faith with somebody, you know, I don't know, if it's just like cold conversation, that's probably not going to work out very well. But even if it's somebody I know, and I know they're not following Christ, don't really, don't really go to church, aren't really a Christian, you know, maybe they believe in God, maybe they don't. Uh, but, I, you know, going into that, I'm thinking my chances are probably slim that I'm going to just, like, win them over. I mean, maybe if I build this long relationship and talk to them over time, but I'm probably probably just going to face rejection. And you know what? That may be true. Sometimes we find it so daunting to share our faith because we're worried about what that response will be and, and what the consequences of that might be in our workplace or wherever it is that we're doing that. But it's also true that there's a lot more harvest. There's a lot more wheat out there. And Jesus talks about separating the wheat and the chaff. And he talks about bringing in the harvest and and collecting it all because there's there's wheat that's lost amongst the chaff. There's there's people out there that God knows are going to come to Him, and He's counting on us to go and find them and bring them in. And the harvest is plentiful for every person who rejects us sharing our faith. There's someone out there who needs to hear it. There's someone out there who's ready to receive. Hope. There's someone out there who's going to respond. There's somebody out there who a seed will be planted in their heart. And we may not ever see the fruit from it, but 20 people down the line, something's going to change in their life. There's way more souls out there ready to come home than there are workers ready to go and share. That's what Jesus is telling us. Will we be the people who stand up and go and share and bring hope that's so desperately needed? And lastly, I think it's so important so that we don't lose our faith slowly, a little bit at a time, and wander away. You know, Paul encourages us, don't give up meeting together. You know, this time that we share is huge. The time that we share in our small groups is huge. The time that we spend with our families and our friends in prayer is huge. Keep our eyes focused on Christ so that we don't lose faith and wander away and lose the hope that he has for us. And if we find ourselves wandering off, if we wake up and realize I've, I've gone the wrong way for a while, I've been confused for a while, I've, this is why I'm struggling. It's not too late to call out, to cry out for him. I think we forget sometimes that God honors that, that Jesus loves us so much. And if we cry out to him in earnest, if we open our heart, if we confess to him, and actually even to each other, if we do that, if we're willing to humble ourselves and cry out, he answers. He answers.
pastors. Don't hesitate to cry out for help. So many times we need help. I'm terrible at asking for help. It would be so much better if I would just ask. Just cry out to him and let him answer. He will not ignore you. And I want to close and encourage us with this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this rich family. Thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. So many great things on the horizon. Journey groups starting up for this fall. The new building coming really soon. God, you, you've got great plans for us. Strengthen us and encourage us. Because just like everybody else, we've got these storms in our life that are going on. God, help us to see your work in the storms. That we can be transformed. That we can be renewed that we can be sanctified and made more like Christ. And as you're doing that process in us, help us to be used by you to build up the rest of your body, to help each other as we are all doing this and on this journey together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.